Hey, this is Julia Stern. I am a New York City-based fitness instructor, and this is Not My Best, the podcast that reminds you it's okay not to be at your best 100% of the time. New episodes on the 10th of every month about women's health and wellness so that together we can stop trying to live our best life and start actually living a better one. Let's get into it. Hey, hey, welcome to season two, episode two of Not My Best, and it is International Women's Day this week. I feel like it's a very fitting time to be launching this episode where we are taking women's health and making it more approachable and more accessible, a little bit better in every single thing that we do. And I'm pumped for today's episode. I think that you'll really enjoy it. I hope you're feeling good. I am feeling great, probably the best that I have felt in a very long time, both physically and mentally. As you know, Presley turned one a couple weeks ago, and somehow I thought I would start having time, and I found that I didn't. I never have a time where everything else is taken care of, and I can sit down and say, I have an hour to get my workout done, or I'm going to spend the afternoon prepping my meals for the week. It just doesn't happen. And so I made a decision, and I said, I am going to make it happen. And every day I find a way to fit it in, whether it's waking up earlier or making good decisions with my meals or just moving my body for 10 minutes on my living room floor in between toys if that's all I have. But I make that decision and I commit to it. Waiting for my life to change was like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and I realized that I needed to change my mindset instead And taking care of myself so I can take care of everything else is an absolute non-negotiable. Since I've made that decision, I feel great. I have woken up early every single day. This morning, I popped my eyes open at 5.30. Like, that's never happened in my life. I got a workout in. Ever since Presley has started eating three meals and two snacks a day, I feel like I have to add chef to the top of my resume, which actually drives me crazy. I don't enjoy it, but I've been able to feed her meals and prep her food a little bit better than I have been doing in the past, and everything's been great. So I hope that you're in a similar place wherever you are in your life, and if you are not, um, I'm hoping for you to get there. Obviously, Even though physically and mentally I'm feeling great, I also feel a tremendous amount of stress, um, worry, and just have a really heavy heart for everything that's going on in Ukraine right now, Uh, specifically from the vantage point of a mother, um, you know, seeing video footage, having access to all of that on Instagram where we can share everything and really being able to see. I saw a hospital view of moms who were hiding Um, that were expecting to deliver babies very soon. I saw moms that were um, traveling to Poland with their small children, and it makes me very scared for the world, and all of those people are in my thoughts and prayers. This particular episode that I had with Rebecca was recorded prior to Russia invading Ukraine, but I think it's even more prevalent now because everything that we talk about is so important, and I think with the current state of the world, your mental health is tip-top of your priority list um, because without your mental health, you have nothing. And in this episode, we talk a lot about how important mental health is, not just to acknowledge it and to reduce the stigma, but also as a means of your physical health. Everything is connected, and if you are not checking in with yourself mentally, emotionally, um, your physical health will not follow. So I hope you enjoy today's episode, and we get into a lot. Before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about my guest. 
Rebecca Silverstein is a licensed clinical social worker, also known as a psychotherapist. She has her master's from NYU with a background in trauma-informed care, addiction, and criminal justice reform. She led a grant-funded program for the Brooklyn Supreme Court to provide mental health services to those recently released from jail and to keep people in the community versus sentence from incarceration. She has been providing therapy for eight years and in private practice for three, and she quit her full-time job in August of 2021, we know we love that, to dedicate to building a full-time private practice, and she has been thriving. So she has so much to offer in terms of mental health. In this episode, you'll get out of where to start if you want to start seeing a therapist, how to recognize symptoms of anxiety and depression, the effect that we may not realize that the last two plus years has had on our mental health and ways that we can address it and so, so much more. So enjoy this conversation. Find me on social at Instagram, Julia L. Stern, or Not My Best Podcast. Let me know what you think. I would appreciate if you rate this episode so that more people will find it and hear it. If you have not yet subscribed to my emails, one is going out next week with a ton of resources, including a workout playlist. So you can find where to sign up for that at the link in my bio on my Instagram or again in the show notes for this episode. So much good stuff coming 2022. We're feeling good. We're living better. That's all I have for you today. Let's get into it. A quick note from Rookie Wellness, which you know I am absolutely obsessed with. They are the perfect sponsor for this podcast because they genuinely have this goal of making wellness approachable for all women in any phase of their life. All of their supplements use top-of-the-line ingredients. I have dissected their labels, and I am such a big fan. You know I love the chocolate protein powder, but more recently I've been using their Wake supplement. It's their version of a pre-workout or something that you drink first thing in the morning, except it is clean, there's no added crap in it, and it's without the crash that even a cup of coffee would give you. I like the pomegranate flavor, although strawberry is very good too. So if you try it, let me know what you think. You can use code Julia, J-U-L-I-A, for 15% off of your order. There is a link in the bio of my Instagram, but there is also a link in the show notes for this episode. Enjoy! Now here is Rebecca Erin Silverstein with today's episode. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you a million times for coming on this podcast with me. And it's funny that we wanted to do this two years ago. And I really appreciate you being patient in the process. I know it's so crazy. I remember being really excited two years ago and then a whole pandemic happened and so many other things in between. So when you reached out again, I was giddy. I was so, so excited that you were a still doing your podcast, which is amazing. um, And that you still wanted me on it. Yeah, I'm so pumped. I didn't know if I was going to bring the podcast back or in what capacity because I used to do weekly episodes and I know it was a lot to keep up with, especially now that I'm working in fitness. But like, this is a perfect little sprinkle of everything that I love. So I'm really happy to bring it back. And I'm really excited because I feel like mental health is a totally different conversation right now than it would have been two years ago if you had been on. So this is perfect. Yeah, it actually worked out well, because like you said, there's just so many things that have been highlighted for everyone over the last two years. And I think mental health is definitely on the top of the list. 
top top tip top like highlighted bold underlined for me (laughs) 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 so I mean tell me and everyone else just a little bit about what you do what your day-to-day is like and then we'll go from there All right. Sounds good. Um, So I am a licensed clinical social worker, a psychotherapist, and I have a private practice. Um, And right now I do everything all through telehealth. I'm not in the office just yet because of the panorama and the uh, Omicron variant, as we are so excited for. Um, So I do everything from home, which is really cool. And I have a caseload of about 25 clients that I see every week doing psychotherapy. Um, And I also do a lot of trauma-informed yoga as well when it comes to um, clients that want movement intertwined with their with their therapy practice. Um, so it's been it's been really cool to see my practice grow. Um, I quit my full time job in August, so this is like new for me to be solely Congrats. focusing. Thank you, solely focusing on my private practice. I was part of the great resignation that they're calling it. I think in like 2021 into 2022. Amazing! So people, is that going? That'll yeah. be in history books in a few years. Yes, it's crazy to think that just so. Well, it's not crazy. It makes sense, right? So many people started to prioritize their own mental health over the pandemic and they realized that they weren't being valued at their workplace they weren't you know valuing their own time and I was definitely part of that group though I did love the job that I was working at my calling was just to completely be doing clinical therapy and I'm so happy that I did it yeah I mean this was on the list to talk about later in the episode but let's just jump right into it because that was a great point um, the, the great resignation and people kind of making different life choices based on the pandemic, not only not being valued, but like the lack of boundaries that comes with work now that everyone is working at home, even myself included. And the lack of boundaries doesn't come from my employer, but like you have to create boundaries and set them. Otherwise your life is one big jumble of like work, living, multitasking, which is horrible for your brain. And that's horrible for your entire mental health. So what have you seen with that and how do those boundaries really affect people in their workplace and the whole work from home thing? Oh yeah. So, I mean, I think going from the beginning of the pandemic, when people were forced to take a step back and start working from home, they realized that they had zero boundary setting skills because people were working from like 7am from the time they woke up and then they would jump right into their 9am meeting. And then they wouldn't be done until like eight because like, Oh, like I can just, I can continue to do this project or I have this deadline tomorrow. I'm already home. Why not just continue to work? But the burnout rate is going to be exponentially larger because you're doing so much in such a smaller period of time. So saying no and saying this can wait, I think is like one of the biggest uh, like boundary setting points that somebody could make that I think a lot of people in the beginning of the pandemic from working from home started to get pretty comfortable with. Yeah, totally. Myself included. And I mean, at the time when the pandemic first started, I was working for myself and it's saying no and saying this can wait to myself, not even to somebody else, because it's really hard to draw the line when you're like doing laundry and also working on a work project at the same time. Like it's, it's just one big mishmash multitask constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's setting boundaries, not only with work, but also with people. So like, I mean, your cell phone that's constantly going off all day, but also the people that you live with, like me and Andy, and granted, we're like trying to co-parent. So it's uh, in 
another added element on top of it, but we have access to each other all day long where I don't think we would have if we weren't like working from home, if we were going into an office or into rumble or into a studio. And it's like, when is an appropriate time for a conversation? So those are even things that we're now thinking about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's such a good point you bring up. Like the people around us, we need to provide boundaries for, right? Boundaries are set in place for protection. It makes relationships stronger. They make work relationships stronger. And if you don't have them, people are just going to be taking advantage of you without even knowing it. And so understanding that just because somebody is available for your time, doesn't mean that they have the capacity to. And I'm sure you and Andy learned very quickly that you guys need to like kind of set a new language around like the time that you guys spend together and just like understanding that you need to ask questions before you dive into venting. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's really important to just keep that at the top of mind, especially when you're co-parenting, right? That, that adds a whole new layer. Yeah, it's like, it's a blessing, of course, because Presley's home. And, you know, if I'm not in a meeting, or if Andy is, then we can just kind of like pass her off. And and she has a babysitter. But at the same time, we've eliminated full time childcare because of that. But Mm -hmm. it takes another element of planning on top of that. And I feel so bad for parents who are at home trying to do the whole virtual learning thing at the same time Mm -hmm. of working and interacting with each other. It's just crazy. But for me, I've gotten very good at saying this sentence. I don't have the space to talk about this right now. Let's come back to it in a second. And I think for me and Andy, at least that has worked tremendously. Like last night I was cooking dinner for Presley and also cleaning up and he's talking to me about my week. Um, And it was a Sunday night and we're trying to like plan our week and, and do different, you know, scheduling things to make sure that Presley's taken care of. And it was driving me crazy. And I just had to stop and say, not right now, but let's sit down and do this when she goes to bed, when we both have a free second. And before that, that, I would be like, you know, ah, (laughs) and get frustrated. (laughs) And it would probably turn into an argument because I would get really agitated. Yeah, no, that is the best sentence ever. And also the question beforehand, right? So we're going to use Andy as an example. He (laughs) could have said, hey, babe, like, do you have the capacity to talk about this right now? And then you could have been like, (laughs) no, this is what I'm doing, right? And so it's such a back and forth of balancing like communication and saying no is so important when you don't have the mental space because we're going to be so much more irritable. We're going to be cold. We're not going to be like open to a conversation where you could have just been like, Hey, I would love to talk about this, but we have to find time in like 20 minutes after all this, like mishmash of things are finished. I love that you said, let's use Andy as an example. I'm always down to critique his actions. So anytime (laughs) you want to pick him apart, I'm here, let me know. Um, Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit because there's so much to talk about. It was so easy to dive right into that. But let's just talk about mental health as a whole. And the reason that I feel so strongly about it um, as a physical fitness trainer is because truly without your mental health, you don't have your physical health. And I think for decades back, when you think about health, you're thinking about physical health and it's only now that mental health is coming to the forefront, but they're really such a yin yang, like equal partnership relationship that without one, you don't have the other. So do you have any notes on how the physical symptoms interact with your mental health, vice versa? I know there's a strong mind gut connection. Um, and I've read uh, some great books about that, but just speak to that a little bit. Cause I think that's really important to recognize. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what you said is so wonderful that 
for centuries, right? People think health is just the body. It's just the physical, but we need to strengthen our minds, right? We need to strengthen our emotions to have like the full health and balance um, and our moods, right? Like when you think about your brain, you think about all the chemicals, right? We have dopamine, serotonin, neuro norepinephrine. I always mess up that <laughs> word. Um, but all of those things are increased when you're moving your body, right? When you boost your heart rate, your body releases endorphins and all of those things create energy and improve our mood. So everything is just so intimately connected. And if you're moving your body, you're moving your mind. And when you're practicing communication skills, when you're practicing you know, being patient with your partner, you're also exercising your physical body because you're, wor you're, you're working on your breath work, right? Sometimes you'll feel like that body pumping, heart racing because you're anxious about a conversation. If you start to connect your breath with communication, everything is gonna be so much more calm. And so the physical aspect of that is just instrumental. I mean, it's your entire nervous system, right? Like mm -hmm. that sympathetic parasympathetic stuff that I learned in my very basic science classes, but mm -hmm. that's really controlling your physical health and it starts with the mental. So I really truly believe that like, if we start working out our mind and not just for like sharpness, not just doing puzzles, but really focusing on our mental health, it changes our whole entire life and our whole entire world because it's not just, you know, are you depressed or are you okay today? It's how you communicate with other people. It's your relationships with other people. It's how you respond throughout your day. And that really one thing ripples into the next and changes your whole life. Yeah, it's really quite amazing what our bodies can do. And that speaks to the mind, the brain, it's part of our body. And when you are exercising, right, you're, you're reducing your anxiety, you're reducing um, any depressive or sad symptoms because the chemicals are reacting to that exercise. And I think it's really important to highlight both to be connected all the time, even if you're going for a walk, right? Like the sun, the movement, the people that you're seeing, it really all connects to how you're feeling. So, I mean, obviously we can't change history, but there has been such a stigma around mental health. And I think it's not just removing the stigma because I think you know, in the past few years, especially we've worked on it and there's more awareness, not as much as we want there to be, but there is awareness, but I need yeah. to like, take it a step further and say, like, it's not just removing the stigma. It is like fully focusing on it and centering our world around our mental health and making it normal and pushing for healthcare in that field, because that yeah. again, really changes everything. So why do you think that those stigmas still exist? And what are some things that really hold people back from going to therapy, from working on their mental health? Like, where's the block? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, like you said, we can't change history. So stigma just becomes part of like a social norm and it's easy to other other people, right? So when, when somebody isn't quote unquote normal and I hate using that, we other them and we put them in this box that we're uncomfortable with and it comes from discomfort the stigma of well they need to do xyz to take care of themselves and i'm so much better than that where there is no truth we are the same it's just different brain chemicals that are interacting 
Um, and I think to break that stigma is to, like you said, normalize it and make it part of your everyday. People will type into a work email, hey, I can't make this three o'clock meeting. I have a physical, I have to go to the doctor. Um, and there's no questions, but imagine someone starts saying, hey, I have a therapy appointment at two. I can't make that um, meeting. We'll have to push it. It's really, really interesting that you just said that because I do meet virtually with a therapist, which we'll talk about in a second when we dive into therapy. But I was in a work one-on-one and they were like, you know, because my schedule is so varied, like if you have like a doctor's appointment, whatever, just put on your calendar, we'll schedule a meeting around that time. And I thought to myself, even for like the split second, after everything I just said about mental health, I was like, well, I have therapy, you know, Thursday morning at 9am and it it held me back for like even a split second. I felt weird putting that on my calendar and it just Mm -hmm. goes how strong those stigmas are and how ingrained they are in our brains. Like Mm -hmm. it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So did you change it to therapy? I did. I did. Because I asked you. Yeah, no, but it's totally like it, it, it's health. It's taking care of yourself and the same way that you would take a sick day from work, taking a mental health day should be no different. Exactly. I think when it comes to perpetuating the stigma, it is untalked about, right? It's unspoken. So continuing the conversation of how it's so important and being leaders in whatever field you're part of and making it important, right? Block out a time and write therapy, right? Tell your employees, hey, like I'm going to therapy. Like it's just, it's just an, it's a normal thing to do. You don't have to be in a complete crisis to go to therapy. You can just talk about your day. You can unpack things that might be too heavy to unload on your partner. And I think the conversation needs to just be continued. And that's how eventually, hopefully, the stigma will break down. It's really, I mean, I feel very fortunate because I don't know if I would have gone to therapy. And um, for anyone listening, the reason um, that I'm about to talk about is in an episode from season one that I do with Andy. But the whole reason that I found my therapist was five years ago when we were moving to New York um, and Andy's dad had passed away and his mom was diagnosed with cancer at the same time that we were getting engaged and married and changing careers. And it was just way too much on our relationship. And we were in a little bit of turmoil, not like a breakup turmoil, but just very, you know, distraught. There were a lot of emotions going on and a lot of things to process. And that's what made me reach out to a therapist. But Mm -hmm. in finding her and in working with her with Andy and individually for the last five years, and she is incredible, knows every single detail about our lives, will reference Mm -hmm. things that like, and I said in a session three years ago, that I'm like, (laughs) I don't even remember saying, and she brings it up nonchalantly, like, like it's, she has my whole life memorized. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've found through working with her that it's not you don't have to be in turmoil to go to therapy. She's taught us, sure, she taught us how to get through that trauma, but more than that, she taught us how to talk to each other. um, And she just gave us an hour to connect when our schedules are so busy and we're taking care of Presley. um, And we don't have time to sit down and like really unpack everything. And it's not a major thing. You know, we're not on the brink of divorce. We're not even arguing day to day, but it's a conversation that we can have with each other or with myself and work through different things. And it's incredible. And now I know, but I don't know if I would have had we not gone through those hard times and I reached out to her. Yeah. And I think you speak to a great point too. Couples counseling, right? You couples counseling is not a last resort. I think it could be a supplement to 
regular therapy or just relationship communication, right? You get to have this hour, like you said, of connection of this time where it's super safe where you guys can just release all the emotions from the week and connect on a way, in a way that somebody can be that third party and highlight important factors that a partner might not see. Um, and that's wonderful that she did that for you guys. Totally. And for myself, even in the day-to-day, like obviously there are, are private things that I would never share, but just a really like, I don't know, surface level. Um, I don't mind talking about this as I went away with my friends um, to Miami a, a few weeks ago. Um, and it was my first time leaving Presley since she was born. And mm. that's not something that, you know, I was crying about, or I was super distressed, but I was a little uncomfortable with it. I had this baby. I've been with her every second since she was born. And I was about to get on a plane and leave her for two nights. And it, it made me uncomfortable and it gave me an opportunity to sit down and talk about it. And had I not done that, it's like, when am I going to think about that in between, you know, doing the 5 million things that I'm doing during the day. And I really needed somebody else to help me process like why I was feeling anxious, um, which was much more than just, I'm leaving my baby. It actually had a lot to do with how I was raised and, you know, Mm -hmm. the examples that I saw. And so it really just gave me an opportunity to sit down and talk about it for an hour. I worked through it. I went, I had a great time and I felt better because of that. And I just think again, like therapy just changes how you communicate, how you think about yourself, how you interact with other people. And it's a really beautiful thing. So I'm a spokesperson. (laughs) (laughs) 10 out of 10 would recommend. And it's amazing, right? Because just the act of validation and normalizing your feelings can create so much more clarity, right? Because I'm sure you probably were like, oh my God, like, why am I feeling this way? Of course I can go away. I've done it before. But for someone to sit down and be like, Julia, a person came out of your body. Of course, you're going to be distraught. Of course, you're going to be upset. Like, mm-hmm. here are some reasons why, but like, it's so normal for you to feel the way that <laughs> Let alone, feeling. like, you haven't left the house in two years exactly. because of a pandemic. Like, it really mm-hmm. has an effect on your mental health. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, not funny, but interesting, <laughs> right? Some people will come to me and they'll list off all these crazy things that's going on in their lives. Like they have a new career change. They had a baby, they got engaged, they broke up, blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're like, I'm so confused. Like, why, why am I so anxious? What do you mean <laughs> why? You just listed off a laundry list of things that would make anyone anxious. So I think the normalization of just getting that from somebody else speaks tremendously to just feeling comfortable as well in those feelings. Yeah, totally. So, okay. We've really been a cheerleader for therapy for the last few minutes. Now, how do you find one? Um, I know that they are expensive. Mine is particularly expensive. It's conversations that me and Andy have had. And, you know, we budget in a way that we hold her to importance because of everything I just said. But it's hard and it's a privilege. So and on top of that, the process of finding one can be stressful because you have to find one that you align with. So advice on that and how to get started. Yeah, it is so, so stressful to find a new therapist. It's almost like finding a new job, right? You have to really understand what's going to be aligned with your budget, um, your time. And so there's a lot of search engines that are geared specifically for therapists. Um, Hello Alma is a really good network. It is providers uh, all over the country that have um, specialties in all of the different therapy modalities where you can put in 
the presenting problem, which is like going for a specific need, whether that's anxiety or relationship, depression, whatever, um, or insurance, right? If you have insurance, of course, you're going to want to see if they're going to cover it. And so if you have a specific insurance carrier that you want, you can also plug those into these search engines. Um, it's expensive and we want insurance to cover it. And now insurance, though it sucks sometimes, it can come in the clutch in other times. What a lot of people don't know is that just because you don't have behavioral health coverage doesn't mean that you do not have out of network coverage. Um, so when you're looking for someone, you can also look for a therapist who takes out of network, which means that they will reimburse you up to 100% of your fee from insurance, even though they're not covered. So that's also a really good thing to do and to plug in. Um, Psychology Today is also another search engine that has therapists all around the country that fit specific needs, finances, sliding scale, um, and insurance providers, as well as word of mouth, right? Julia, you said that you had a really, excuse me, great therapist. Um, and so if you were comfortable enough, you can say, hey, my friend is looking for a therapist. I think they'd be a really good fit here's her information. If you want, feel free to reach out to my therapist and blah, blah, blah. Of course, if you want something of remove, right? If it's too close to comfort and you hear of someone else, having a friend of a friend is also good as well. Totally, for sure. My friend, like when we have conversations, I've plugged my therapist all the time just because <laughs> I am your biggest fan, Mara. Like you are fantastic. So um <laughs> But yeah, no, word of mouth is a great way to do it. And I think that that information on insurance was key because it can be expensive, but some plans do have out of network coverage. And even if they don't cover a hundred percent, they might cover some of them. So it's worth looking into because it is a big out of pocket expense. Um, But the way that I think about it when budgeting and obviously everybody's finances are different and what you can afford varies, but say, I don't know, it's an extra hundred dollars um, more than you would have wanted to spend. And I thought about where I would have been spending that money if not on a therapist. And it probably yes. would have been on dining out um, or the million takeout orders that we do or shopping for clothes. So mm-hmm. it's, it, for me, I was like, if I can allot this to something that I know is going to help me more in the long run, that's where I'm going to put it. But again, everybody's situation is different. Yeah, I think it's important to note the priority, right? Like if you know that you want to work on your mental health, you can definitely go through the budget and see what you can table for the week, right? Um, Therapy is a privilege. And so I think it's really important to always talk about the idea that therapy is extremely privileged. Um, It is stigmatized in so many cultures, specifically in the non-white communities, right? If you're Black, if you're someone who is of color, the communities are just more stigma because it hasn't been around, it hasn't been spoken of. Um, And so deconstructing what it is to go to therapy, deconstructing what that privilege looks like and making sure um, it can be accessible in every community, I think is one of the biggest things that a lot of mental health providers um, and thought leaders are trying to do. And if therapy is something that you're looking for and you don't have the resources to do it, Talkspace is a really great um, starting point, I always say. Like it's something that could be easy, accessible. They have so many different plans. Um, BetterHelp also has an outlet as well. And there are places where you can look that is sliding scale. So it's, you know, the therapist kind of sets 
$15 to $100 or whatever, there's a floor, there's a ceiling. And if you need to prioritize therapy, but it's too big of a cost, you can always ask a therapist if they do sliding scale. That's really interesting about Talkspace. I obviously have seen like ads and stuff for it, but I had no idea if it was legitimate or worthwhile if you can't afford a full therapy session. Yeah, it's, it's really great. It's like a good jumping point to dip your toe in. Um, and then people do it long-term or people do it short-term if there's a crisis, but because there's different plans, it's not like this huge, um, like investment, you can just start and see how you're feeling. And then if you like them, you can find somebody different or you can continue with the person that you're with, but it's a really good jumping off point. I think. That's awesome. All right. So let's dive into the meat of what I really wanted to talk about, which is how our mental health has changed in the last two years. And I have been saying like, this is not just a basic conversation to, you know, summarize the pandemic. Nobody is more sick of hearing about unprecedented times more than me. Um, But I really think that like locking ourselves in our home for the last two years and everybody I know, including myself has done it at to a different level, some more than others. I really was hunkered down because of pregnancy and Presley, but everybody has their comfort levels, but everybody's schedule and lifestyle has changed in the last two years. And it really takes a toll on our mental health. And when we say that, you know, it's very easy to say like, oh, we're fine. Um, But we don't look at the little abnormalities, like one tiny one here, one tiny one there and how they stack up and the big picture of how it's really affecting us, our daily habits and our mental health. So Mm -hmm. can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, our worlds have been rocked, right? Nobody lived the way that we were living in any of our lifetimes in the last two years. And just that alone, that idea of a pandemic, I think shifts and shakes our mental health. Um, I think for families staying home and living with children for the first time for 24 hours a day, that rocks you. Um, I think learning the importance of boundaries creates a really uncomfortable perspective shift until you start getting comfortable with it. So that can create more anxiety. Um, I think substance wise, right. Drinking more became Mm -hmm. a lot more prevalent over the last, the height of the lockdown prior to me getting pregnant, (laughs) but the height (laughs) of the lockdown, we were like making margaritas four nights a week. And like, this is not normal. (laughs) I mean, it was Mm -hmm. fun for like a couple of weeks. It had the lockdown been two weeks, but after a while, I mean, that just led right into summer and me getting pregnant. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I mean, they're not correlated by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, just the idea of like fun for two weeks. I remember when we first started like this pandemic, it was like, I don't know, from, for the court system, March 17th, I think was the last day that we worked. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. A two week vacation. I'm pumped, right? Let me eat all the things. Let me drink all the things. But then like two years in, you have to completely shift the way that you're thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. So that as well, I think is huge, right? Just like the things that we're doing to pass the time. Um, you know, connection, you know, we are social beings in nature and being quarantined for this long does a toll. And if somebody says that they're introverted and they've liked it, they are lying. There is something to be said about physical touch. Yeah. I'll like raise my hand on that because I actually am a very big introvert despite being so public. I enjoy 
quality time with myself and it's how I get energized. And whenever I'm in a room with a bunch of people having a million conversations at once, I actually really don't like it. It's very draining for me, but Uh, it was okay for the first couple of weeks (laughs) again, like, because I like it, but after two years, it's not okay anymore. And I realized it. I don't even think I realized the full effects until I started going out again. I started going to work again. I started going out with friends. And this was only when Presley was like five months old. So only in the last, you know, six months, but it it really changed my whole entire like endorphin levels and the way I was like, you know, feeling about myself and getting fresh air because I was locked down all of pregnancy and then Presley was born and I was still inside after that limiting visitors even more because we were worried about spreading COVID. So just the little tiny things, it didn't need to be these gigantic parties, but just like going to get coffee and talking to somebody behind the counter or in line and like having things to do changed my entire day and I didn't realize it at the time I thought I was fine until I started doing it again and I realized how much I was missing out yeah yeah I can relate I mean I think I'm more of an introvert than I thought I think the pandemic taught me that I was definitely more energized on my own time and just like loving myself and just being in my space I didn't realize that before because I didn't have that alone time I I wasn't forced to stop and I think what the pandemic did it was it completely forced us to take a look inward, right? And when things are quiet around us, our brains are gonna be completely lit up and we're gonna learn things about ourselves that might be uncomfortable, right? Or they might be epiphanies. And I think mm-hmm. the shift, the shift of mental health in the last two years was because of that very idea. People needed to force themselves to chill out. And once they realized that they were quiet and not doing anything they're like wow there's so many thoughts that are coming up there's so many things that I forgot about that are coming up and enter teletherapy and enter everything (laughs) um, because it's just so necessary to talk about those quiet moments and what comes up yeah and speaking about what comes up like specifically with anxiety and I wanted to touch on this because I know I have an experience that's specific to me but there might be a million other ways that it can show up as well I tend to run anxious. Um, I always have, I think it's a little bit of genetics, but I also recognized anxiety in a way throughout the pandemic that I didn't know. When I Mm -hmm. used to think about anxiety, I used to think about feeling anxious um, and kind of, you know, anxiety attacks and what that looks like, which I've had in like really, you know, big traumatic situations, but it's not an everyday thing. And so I thought I didn't have anxiety. And when I realized what that anxiety was, it was showing up as like very easily agitated and very Mm -hmm. easily frustrated and not being able to get words out in a way that I wanted to be able to communicate them. Um, Mm -hmm. And just really like lacking those communication skills and being short fused because I was anxious and I was overloaded and couldn't handle Um, specifically when I first had Presley, but Um, I noticed it, you know, as a whole and talking to friends and, you know, my sister, it's a way that shows up. So what are some ways that anxiety kind of shows up that you might not even realize it's an effect of your mental health? Yeah. Um, Stomach issues, right? Stomach issues. Stomach issues are huge for anxiety, right? Needing to use the bathroom a lot, just having cramps, um, I think our GI tract, or I know our GI tract is so intimately intertwined with our emotions 
that when you're super anxious, you might always have a tummy ache, right? And if you calm yourself, your stomach might always also feel a little bit more calm. Um, disorganized thoughts, right? Tangential thinking is a really big symptom of anxiety, just having all these things kind of running wild in your brain and not being able to put uh, like the words to it, kind of like what you were describing. I have so many things to say, but it's hard for me to communicate them because there's just so much going on. Um, obviously the body, right? Like tense muscles, always feeling that your shoulders are like above your head. Just that tense feeling of anxiety is, is a big one that I've been seeing a lot lately in my practice. Um, and then that heart racing feeling, right? You feel like your body and your heart is moving a mile a minute. Those are a lot of ways in physical terms that anxiety can show up. Okay. So now that we've identified it, like what would you say are ways to either a calm yourself other than therapy, but also ways to stay present? Because I just feel like there's a constant influx of like negative media coming in through our TVs and our phones while we're home all day. Um, plus the overuse of social media because you're home more often and you're constantly scrolling, seeing other people's curated pictures, which are just so far from reality. So you're like in this weird, like twilight zone where the negative is coming in but you're also seeing how perfect everybody's life is despite these insanely hard times and then at the same time you're like comparing yourself while you're you know locked down in your living room trying not to go out and spread COVID so what do we do what do we do um (laughs) help I think (laughs) staying present is the key right and how to stay present is hard because people don't love to do that Um, I think focusing on your breath and your five senses are my personal favorite ways to stay present in the moment and connected to what you're doing. Um, So what I like to do personally before I'm in a session or having a conversation with someone is just like take five to 10 really deep breaths and like feel my body move and like audibly, right? Like, I'm like actually feeling and hearing myself Um, and then locating things with my senses, right? Like touching my hands, balling up my fists, smelling something, tasting something, using my eyes to look at something beautiful or aesthetic and really bringing into the moment of what you're doing versus thinking about the next move, right? I think uh, Americans, specifically New Yorkers, we are always looking to the next thing, right? We're always looking to cross something off our to-do list. We're in the city. Very that never guilty. Sleeps. Very, very yeah. guilty of that. <laughs> me too. Me too. And like, we're, we're in the city that never sleeps. So of course we want to be part of the community, right? FOMO is a huge one too. And so just relaxing yourself and reminding yourself that there is so much time and we have time to do that. We have time to take five deep breaths before the next task on our to-do list. We have time to eat lunch mindfully instead of scarfing it down in five minutes before the next meeting. Um, And I think staying present with your five senses and breathing is the key if you're not able to go to therapy or if you have therapy on Tuesday and it's Sunday and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with myself. Take 15 minutes and just take a walk and look and feel and taste and smell and touch. Um, Mm -hmm. It really helps. That taking care of yourself is big because I found as I'm trying to balance mom life and work life and, you know, be a good wife and have a social life at the same time, um, I like can balance it. I can handle it. I'm like a super human 
you know, whatever cartoon character. And I like write out my to-do list and I'm like, bang, bang, bang. And I have seven, you know, or eight octopus arms working at once. But what's suffering is that I'm not taking care of myself and I don't have time to prep myself food and I don't have time to sit down and eat. And after a couple of days of that, I'm like, relax. Like, you know, you're not a superhero, you're a human and you have to take care of yourself and you have to take the time to take care of yourself or this isn't sustainable. So I go through that cycle all the time. Yes. Sustainable is my favorite word. That's like the buzzword. I'm so happy that you said it. We have to do everything in our lives. That's going to be sustainable forever or for a long period of time. If we do things and go, 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 you're going to be burnt out and it's not going to be sustainable, right? You want to go to the gym. You want to work out. You have to do it in a way that's going to sustain you. So you don't get burnt out from it. Totally. And I, I mean, becoming a mom has taught me that and becoming, you know, going through this whole pandemic situation, it changed my outlook, you know, where I was trying to do this, these crazy workouts pre COVID. It's how I want to train my clients differently. Now I want to train them so that they have longevity, you know, in their health and their muscles and their joints. Um, and it, that's anything that you do. You, it needs yeah. to be sustainable. It has to be for the long run, because even though you might find things that are really cool and really intense, um, you know, you might feel like an Olympic athlete, but it's not going to help you in 10, 15, 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about ways to take care of yourself. Oh, before we wrap, can you talk about that yoga that you mentioned in the, in the beginning? Cause that was <laughs> oh, really yeah. cool. I was like, Whoa, I need to come back to that. Yeah. Um, so obviously, well, not obviously for those who don't know, Julie, I'm sure you do. Yoga is so good, not only for the body, but for the mind. Um, it creates a connection between your breath and your emotions and your, your, your muscles and whatever. <clears throat> and it, <clears throat> excuse me, and it really slows you down. What I do is trauma informed yoga. Um, which means that a lot of the stuff is hand off, obviously, because we're teletherapy now, but um, in the way that you're adjusted, it could be very triggering, um, specifically with yoga classes. If you're in a, in a room with teachers and other students, um, you're going to be touched and it could be very triggering. A lot of poses in yoga are triggering for trauma, whether that's sexual assault or what have you. So trauma-informed yoga speaks to caring for what the body holds, um, and doing it in a way that's going to be very gentle and careful with um, your experiences. So I do that with clients as well as psychotherapy if they want to do more movement as well. That's really, really interesting. And just another example of how the mind and the physical connect. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So aside from doing all these cool yoga and psychotherapy things, you, okay, well, I meant to say this in the beginning. I did when we had our conversation before we started recording this episode, but your Instagram is amazing. You're one of my favorite follows. Um, oh, thank you. I just, I love, you know, mental health stuff. When I am scrolling on Instagram in my, you know, social media reality kind of like filtered version of reality. I like to read about things that are going to help my brain and you definitely do help my brain. Um, so thank you oh, for that. Thank you. Oh, that means um, a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And I felt that way for years and you're blowing up. So I appreciate everything that you're putting out into the world, but you also have a podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my friend and I, we started a podcast. Um, it's called friends with therapists. 
Um, and we talk about having relationships and therapists, right? We talk about all things mental health and how you can take care of yourself without doing all of the things all the time, right? So a lot of the things that I talked about today is just an extension really of the things that we go into in the nitty gritty and just talking about the privilege of therapy and what it means to go to therapy and do therapeutic things, right? A lot of people would say, oh, I don't need therapy. Um, I have golf or I have the gym <laughs> or, or I have um, my, it's my, not my the manicure, same. pedicure. Yeah, it's not the same. Those things are yes, therapeutic. Um, but they are not therapy. You need someone who can really tell you how it is or challenge your thinking. Um, so we talk a lot about that as well. Um, we're having a lot of fun. My friend Denise and I were having a lot of fun doing it together. We're learning a lot about each other and the people who are listening. And it's just a really fun thing. I'm sure you can share that, right? Having a podcast is just like a fun thing to do to talk about things that matter to you and to interview people that you wouldn't necessarily know from day to day and just bring in their perspectives. And it's just been a really cool thing that we've been doing. Yeah, even from season one of Not My Best, I have so many, you know, connections and relationships because of these episodes with listeners and also with my guests who aren't yeah. in this fitness space. Like, for example, yourself, like physical fitness, I don't know necessarily that we would collab if you were, mm -hmm. you know, doing a mental health thing. But at the same time, like, it's really cool to be able to sit down and talk and to just, you know, take some time to go through all this stuff. So it's very fun. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Okay, so plug yourself, where can people find you, um, all the things. Yeah, so I am Rebecca Aaron Therapy on Instagram. Um, and that podcast I was just speaking of is Friends with Therapist Pod on Instagram. Um, and yeah, those are really the only social media -y things that I do. But my website is RebeccaAaronTherapy.com. And that's where you can go if you'd like to book a session with me or talk more about mental health. Um, I also do corporate workshops and stuff like that, talking about how it's so important to do wellness in the workplace and to keep it at top of mind, just like what we talked about today, like putting therapy on your calendar. So your boss, your boss can see that at 3 PM, Julia is out of sight, out of mind because she's working on herself. Um, corporate wellness is just as important as all of the other wellnesses. So that's also somewhere that you can find me as well. I love it. And sadly you haven't dove into TikTok yet. So no, I haven't. You know, I tried it and I, I just can't. I love to scroll same. on TikTok. Same, same, um, same. I like one day. really getting into it in the beginning of COVID. I was like dancing in my living room. But I mean, now my life is just so different that I just it's not I just can't. The day that I start like staging TikTok videos, I really just I need I my to do list is too long. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And TikTok is fun to just be a spectator. I agree, especially when, you know, you're doing so much on Instagram. I really can only keep track of one. Yeah, I agree completely. Okay, so thank you so much for talking to me. This was a really good, informative conversation, even for myself, who helped talk about and put together the topics for the episode. So I appreciate you so much. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. And again, the whole point of this podcast, the whole point of this episode is not to perfect your mental health because perfectionist mindset, get it out of here. We're focusing on becoming a little bit better, not your best. Um, so if you take one thing, two things away from this episode and you apply it to your life, um, then we did our job and I'm really happy to be here for you. So Thank you, Rebecca, again for coming on and hopefully we can do this again soon. 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. So fun. Okay, everybody stop trying to live your best life. Start actually living a better one. And I will see you next month for our next episode. That's a wrap.